You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Nick, how you doing this afternoon? Doing great, Dave. Doing real good. Another snowy afternoon here in Michigan in January. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So might as well sit around and record a podcast, right? That's right. I'm excited about today. Today yeah. we have uh, Ian Richardson from Doberman Technologies is going to talk to us about keeping our financial information and all information for that matter safe. So I'm um, real excited to pick his brain and kind of talk about an important topic in the world today, especially I'm sure as uh, many of us are working from home mm-hmm. now and doing some different stuff. So that probably um, brings on some some new challenges as well. Right. So welcome Ian. Nick, Dave. Yeah, welcome Ian. Thanks for uh thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me on board. Yeah. Yeah. So uh we've we've worked with Ian's company for about a year now to uh keep all of our systems nice and secure. And uh Ian, you wanna give us a little idea of your background and what you do and where you're coming from? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been uh in IT and IT security for about 15 years, uh, and Doberman's a 15-year-old company there, so kind of lines up nicely. Um, I'm a, a engineer by trade, so I started off as a, as most IT guys do, doing help desk and walk around, fix it work, and uh, mm-hmm. went up um, without uh, getting too technical with a couple of pretty big name vendors, Microsoft and Cisco. And I'm formally trained in uh, in both of those uh, both of those companies' products and services. And uh, I founded Delberman to try to help out other individuals and small businesses just get a handle about IT. And uh, over time, the team's grown from just me working out of a car and a and a room <laughs> in a house to a team of fourteen and a headquarters over in Mason and serving the greater Michigan area to help small businesses achieve their goals and be part of the team that, that allows that to happen. Yeah. Great. Um, and you know, I, sh- I should have said this right at the beginning. Uh, Ian's going to be joining us on a webinar for clients next week on the 22nd. And so um, I took a sneak peek at your notes for that. And one of the things that jumped right out at me right away was your, your no geek speak statement. And if you want to elaborate a little bit on that, but I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the biggest things that absolutely drives me up a wall and uh, what I hear from person after person, business owner after business owner, individual after individual is that, hey, whenever I'm talking to a tech guy, I feel like I'm lost. My eyes glaze over. I just don't understand what they're saying. Right. And that's... (laughs) I like to refer to all of that mumbo jumbo as geek speak, and we just don't mm. allow it. So if I believe it was Albert Einstein, and I'm paraphrasing, but if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. So right. all the conversations that I have with folks is plain English. We don't use acronyms. We don't use technical terms. And I try to relate anything to the business or the personal objectives, right? so. You're talking about something like cybersecurity, it gets in the weeds fast. But if you're able to pull it out and make it to where everyone can understand, oh, well, that makes sense. 
when something makes sense, that's when people are going to start paying attention. And it's everyone's job to keep everyone safe in an organization or everyone in a house's job to keep everyone in the household safe. So we all have to kind of work together to rise, to create a rising tide that raises all of our boats mm-hmm. above that, uh, that rising tide of security threats. I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, we um, take a similar approach and from the financial aspect of trying to make things simple <laughs> and understandable, which is one of the reasons why we have this podcast is to get, you know, good, solid information out in an in a understandable medium. Um, and it's been a lot of fun for us. So we definitely have. And on the side of working with Doberman, it's been great for us to be able to you know, reach out to you guys and, and you explain things to us that we can handle. And, <laughs> and I got to tell you, just being able to, you know, we go to a lot of industry conferences, things of that nature. And, you know, inevitably this is a big topic. And so whenever those speakers come on and, and are, you know, trying to train us as advisors, I know in the back of my mind, I'm always going, thank God for Ian and his team because <laughs> right. I understood about 10% of this, but all of it is scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It falls under, you know, the, the category of things that I need to be aware of and can hand off to uh, the people that know what they're doing. So, um, yeah, uh, Ian, um, do you want to, uh, Maybe give us an idea of where to start with households. Yeah, so cybersecurity. Um, I'm always a big fan of uh, trying to go through with a uh, an agenda driven conversation, right? And so the first thing is to get everyone on a common a common framework of knowledge, right? So if we all kind of have a similar understanding of what's going on, it makes the conversation go a lot easier. And so that's a a concept that I like to talk about is the cybersecurity cornerstones. So um, humans like to think about and think about things in threes, right? And so there's three words that you'll hear a lot of cybersecurity guys and a lot of IT guys use, and that's confidentiality, availability, and integrity. And so whether it's a business or a person, if you think about your stuff, your Mm-hmm. financial records, your receipts, your accounting data, your bank accounts, your bank statements, all of that stuff, that's collectively a bunch of data. That's a bunch of information that you have to run your household or your business. And mm-hmm. confidentiality, integrity, and availability are the three key pieces with regards to keeping your data secure. So we'll go ahead, we'll tackle those one at a time. Confidentiality pretty straightforward. Whatever I need to keep private, I'm keeping private. If it's my eyes only, only I get to see it. So if all three of us are a team, there might be things that only Dave should see. Well, then making sure that Nick and I can't see that, that's Mm -hmm. appropriate. A good example in a business is, say, HR and payroll. Even though we're all a team and we all function the same way, some of us don't necessarily need to see HR records or payroll records. The next right. concept, and same thing at the household, right? So the uh, we've got a house, and there's um, a couple of, say, teenagers. Well, the parents should be able to see the household financial data, but the teenagers don't necessarily need to see that, right? So whereas uh, if <laughs> Sometimes they should. Right? Sometimes <laughs> they should, but, right? Um, and uh, 
we might have a uh, anniversary surprise or something like that that we want to be able to keep that data safe or whatever so that the surprise mm-hmm. doesn't get ruined. <laughs> Things of that nature. Yeah. yeah. Next up is integrity. And all integrity means is just that whatever we have, our financial records, our receipts, are actually what we what they were, right? So if we've got a document that says ABC123, making sure that that document consistently says ABC123 and that it doesn't get changed or modified or deleted or corrupted or whatever unless we know about it. And likewise, making sure that if something goes bump in the night so that my photos or my bank statements suddenly all got deleted off of my computer, then I'm able to get those back. And that kind of is that concept of backing up your stuff. So key key kind of takeaway, if you're going to be safe, if you're going to be secure, backup is part of that conversation. Last one is availability. And that just means to be able to use your stuff when you want to use your stuff. That's straightforward. Just like I want to be able to look at my bank statements. You need to be able to look at your bank statements. They need to be available. And you know, from, from my point of view, that there's a tension there between cornerstone one and cornerstone three, right? There is. Um, I want it to be, I want my bank statements to be confidential, but gosh, I hate trying to remember where to log in and what the passwords are. And, oh, now I got to get a text on my phone. So, so it's a balance, right? It is. So if you think about them, I like to use shapes, right? If you think about them like a triangle, doesn't matter where they're at. Put a little dot right in the middle of that triangle. That's the sweet spot. And as you do security in an organization or in a household, that dot's going to move around, right? So, hey, we switched banks, and this new bank has a whole bunch of technology that lets us view stuff from anywhere or whatever. That availability is kind of drawing that dot over there. And whenever you start to get out of alignment into one corner of that triangle, you got to kind of start using strategies. And sometimes it's spending money. Sometimes <laughs> it's changing the way you do things to pull us back towards the center. It's about keeping in balance. Um, so it's like a three-legged stool, right? Shift your weight around so that that stool doesn't topple over. From that um, vantage point, Ian, what are there things that as a consumer, I should be asking about a particular company if I'm going to work with them, like a financial planning office or a bank. Are there things that I should know about what kind of security measures they have? Absolutely. And I would, um, I would focus on those three concepts, those cornerstones, right? So if you okay. have that concept in, our he- in my head of, okay, I'm about to give you all of my stuff, right? Financial planning is such a key intimate conversation. You have all of my bank account information. You have all my retirement information. You know my household health, right? You know the the state of my household. You might know my health data. Like, hey, my spouse has a medical condition that's going to cause them to have to retire five years early, right? And that can be damaging information if it came out. So confidentiality is a key conversation to have with any partner for your household. So how I'm about to give you all of this data. Walk me through how you're going to keep that data private. Walk me through who in the organization will have access to my data. 
How do you share my data? How do you protect my data? How do you keep it safe? Likewise, how are you making sure that the plan, right? So financial, continuing talking about financial planning, we're coming up with a plan and an organization of here's what the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of your life might look like, Ian. Well, how are we making sure that that plan doesn't get inadvertently modified or deleted or impacted? How, come, how are we mm-hmm. keeping the integrity of that plan safe? Walk me through that. That's a good conversation to have. And last but not least, I need to be able to access all of my retirement account information, right? A, a key thing that that financial advising partnership will bring to an individual like me is I want to be able to see all the numbers in one spot. How can you make it so that I can look at all my information and look at it from wherever I'm at? Right now, you would see this happy plant behind me. Unlike Nick and Dave being in Michigan, I'm in, I'm in Punta Mita, Mexico. How can I be able to view my information while I'm down here in Mexico in case I have to make a decision or make a transfer or do any other sort of normal activity regarding my finances? So kind of focusing on those cornerstones and using those to frame the conversation. And a key thing for individuals to think about is if someone's unable to answer conversations about their strategies in a plain English way, if they're unable to present you information, I go back to Mr. Einstein. If they're unable to make you understand how they're keeping you safe, chances are they don't understand it or they might not be doing it. Yeah, that's a great point. Right. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people are afraid to ask those types of questions because they don't know the answers or what the answer should be. And, and I think your point about just, you know, if it if they can make it make sense to you, then they probably have a really good grasp on what they need to do and that they're actually doing it. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. The second big piece of, conceptual uh, conversation is is techniques for keeping yourself safe. And so um, that cornerstone information that I I mentioned, that's that's something known as the CIA triad, right? Confidentiality, integrity, and uh, accessibility or availability. (laughs) There's another concept that's common in cybersecurity, and that comes from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST. If anyone ever says NIST, that's what it stands for. And that's a taxpayer-funded organization that's designed to help out America have a leg up in business and individual aspects. It's just, it's government working for us, right? And so they have a five-part framework for your average business owner, your average individual to try to follow to keep yourself safe. So I'm going to walk through each five. And again, no geek speak. The first one is identify. And that's the concept of identifying what's important to you. So I like to use the analogy of living in a home, right? We all live somewhere, whether it's an apartment, a condo, a house, wherever. And there's things in our home that we want to protect. Our family our important documents, maybe electronics, a computer, photographs, memories, pets, whatever. You have things in your home you want to protect. Identifying what you possess, and this is anywhere. So if we're talking about financial planning and things of that nature, 
what are your financial assets? You've got your bank accounts, you've got your retirement accounts, you might have life insurance policies, you might have inheritance or um, collectibles, whatever, right? What's the sum total of your assets? And then you can classify them in order of importance. So my uh, daily checking account might only ever have $5,000 or less. And well, it's $5,000. It's not the end of the world, right? But my retirement account might have multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. One of those is a little bit more important than the other when it comes to yeah. protection mechanism. Right. And so you kind of rate in terms of importance what it is you have and what value it is. And so I'm a big fan of ABC or one through five, something simple, but just use a rating mechanism as to how important those assets are to your financial future or to mm -hmm. your. Um, to your organization, right? And so this doesn't have to be fine. If it's a small business, you can kind of look at the business assets and what's the importance of this to running the business? If it's financial planning, what's the importance of this to my financial future? If it's around just your household, what's the, the importance of it to your household, right? It can scale or shift however you want. But the first thing you want to do is identify. The next piece is protection. So along in our house, we've identified what's important. And then in a home, you'll, you'll invest in things to protect your house. You put locks on the doors, locks on the windows, you might have a fence, something of that nature, right? So you have our neighborhood, uh, you know, you, you've, you've got some, you, you've got some protection items that you'll invest in. And so same thing as an individual or as an organization, invest in some protection strategies. And so with cybersecurity, like things like antivirus on your computers or making mm -hmm. sure that you update your computer, those Windows updates, making sure that you're up to date on your computer or your Mac updates, kind of keeping yourself up to date, making sure that you're putting on security software and things like that. Those are protection strategies we do to help keep what we've identified as important protected. Right. The next step on cybersecurity is detection. So in our household analogy, we've got those front doors. Maybe you put an alarm system or a neighborhood watch in place. So the alarm goes off when the burglar kicks in the door or breaks the window, right? It's detected mm -hmm. that protection failed. Same sort of thing with cybersecurity. You can set up the ability to alert you if something happens on your computer or on your bank account, right? So a common detection item is that multi-factor stuff, that two-factor authentication. You log into your bank account and this little guy buzzes. That's a detection item. It's detecting someone's logging into your account. Number one piece of advice I'd have to every person who's listening to the podcast today is set up multi-factor or two-factor or 2FA, those mm -hmm. dreaded acronyms that uh, IT guys love. <laughs> set that up for anything that'll allow it. There's a lot of free ones out there that you can use, some from Microsoft and Google, that work pretty well for your average individual. So set those up wherever you can. Get it coming to your cell phone because if I'm Mr. Bad Guy Hacker and I somehow get your password for your bank and I try to log in and your phone buzzes, 
and it says like, hey, enter the code and you don't enter the code, then I'm not going to be able to log into your bank and steal your money. Right. So that's a big detection item. And it also cues you in. I just got a code about logging into bank one, like yourbank.com. I didn't just try to log in. Something's going on. You've detected a problem. So detection's the third pillar. The next pillar is response. Going back to our house, the alarm's going off, and ADT or guardian Mm -hmm. or whoever calls the police, right? And the police come to your home and catch the bad guy. That's a response technique in our home analogy. How do you respond to detected problems? So on our previous conversation, my phone buzzes and says, you're trying to log into the bank. And I go, "Hmm, no, I'm not. Well, maybe I might call Carrie and say, hey, were you trying to log into the bank? I might, if it's my business banking, I might call my office administrator and say, hey, were you doing something? Check in with your team, check in with your family, make sure it's not a false alarm. And if it's a true blue alarm, what next? Hey, I'm going to call the bank and say, hey, Something just happened. Was it you guys? Mm-hmm. No. Can you freeze my account for right now? Make sure no money can come in and out. Then I'm going to go to the website and log in and change my password, right? You have to kind of take some intentional steps to respond. Um, so making sure that you've got a response strategy around whatever detection you might invest in, key piece of keeping yourself safe. Last but not least, recover. So in our house, someone broke in and stole all our stuff, or if there was a fire and our home burned down, what do we have? We have insurance, right? That's a recovery strategy, recovering if the worst happens. In our business, that might be backup, right? So our business server blew up. Well, you have backup to restore that data. So when it comes to home, making sure that you're backing up your important documents, making sure that you've got everything documented down and identified and work with your financial planner or work with your bank, work with those third-party partners that you've brought into your life to come up with a recovery strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that you're being an active participant in keeping yourself safe is a key piece. So identify, protect, detect, response, recover. If you invest a little bit into each one of those five steps, whether you're an individual or a business owner, you're going to be pretty okay when it comes to security. Can we can we talk about passwords for a minute? You know, walk <laughs> us through the, the password fatigue. And, and my wife, God bless her, I love her to death. But if, if anybody has password fatigue, it's her because I know exactly what her password is. I, pretty much everything. Oh, so. I, could, I could hack my wife's stuff pretty easily too if we need. So that's that's a common thing. We never, ever, ever reuse passwords across systems, right? Never. <laughs> that would never happen. So passwords <laughs> are by never. You mean always? I always. So passwords are one of those things that just causes a lot of grief to everyone over time. We've done a great job at making passwords incredibly difficult for humans to remember while making them incredibly easy for a computer to break, (laughs) which sounded like a win to me. It's a home run. (laughs) So 
Passwords are kind of a misnomer. I would say that the best hint I have for everyone listening at home is to start investing in pass phrases. So instead of thinking about a password or a string of gobbledygook, think about a sentence you're going to remember. Right? It can either be random words or it could be a sentence. It could be a quote from from your favorite piece of scripture. It could be a poem. It could be the opening line to your favorite movie, something of that nature. Think of a sentence, make sure it's five, seven words long, and write it down. Your next step is think about what all the passwords want. They want uppercase, lowercase, number symbols. We'll take that passphrase and do book capitalization or reverse book capitalization if you want to get really fancy. Book capitalization (laughs) is the first letter of every word is a capital. Reverse would be the last letter of every word being a capital if you want to be super sneaky. So go ahead and do that. Think about a number that's important to you. Birthday of your first kid or whatever, right? That can be your number. You could put it at the end. You could put it at the start. You could put it in the middle of your passphrase, whatever you're going to remember. And then think about symbols, right? You've got Symbols across the top of your keyboard, throw that symbol in, maybe at the start, maybe at the end. So if your number is going to go at the start of your passphrase, put the symbol at the end of your passphrase. So you've got a number that you're always going to remember. You've got your favorite symbol on the keyboard, right? Or maybe you use the method of, okay, well, it's January. I'm going to use the exclamation point because that lets me know when I made this password, right? (laughs) So I'm going to use the exclamation point here. And if it's November, I'm going to use two exclamation points. If it's December, the exclamation point and the at symbol, right? Okay. So you can kind of use those symbols or whatever because all the websites are going to want uppercase, lowercase numbers and symbols. So I've got my number at the front. I've got my five-word sentence with book capitalization. And I've got my symbol at the end on the month that I made the password or passphrase. So that passphrase is something that's really easy for a human to remember. You can just repeat it three or four or five times, and your brain's going to trigger and memorize that. But it will take centuries for an automated program to break that password or passphrase. Centuries. Versus an eight-character thing of gobbledygook can be broken in kind of 30 to 60 days. Wow. With current technology, right? So much more effective if you can get up to that 25-character range, which is your average Mm -hmm. sentence, right? You're in 25 characters long, and you use some tricks to make it easy for you to remember, it's going to be impossible for a computer to break. Mm -hmm. So we've got a passphrase. Now, we talked about reusing it. So now I've got this great passphrase. Don't use it everywhere. Because if you use it everywhere, and if you've got it at, say, target.com, and target.com has a security breach, and the hacker downloads all the username and passwords, well, your username for almost everything is going to be your email. So that's a common thread. There's software that can run that password against website after website after website after website to see if they can't log in as you. Me logging into target.com and ordering some hand towels isn't a big deal. 
But me logging into financial websites and doing wire transfers is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So the next piece that I would recommend to folks is to use a password manager. There's a lot of them out there. I'm a big fan whenever there's podcasts of being vendor neutral, so I'm not going to talk about them. But talk to the technology pro in your life and ask, (laughs) hey, what what could I do about this? But a password manager is a piece of software where you use your passphrase to log into it. And that password manager can actually make 25 character, just random gobbledygook things to use for each website. So you remember one really good password for your password manager, the password manager takes care of the rest of it. And that can make it easy to be safe and secure. When we signed on with Doberman, with uh, with Ian's firm, we started using a password manager. And at first I thought it was going to make life more complicated, but it actually makes things much simpler. I log in once every morning to that password manager, and then that handles the logins for the rest of the day. And uh, I feel a lot better about it now. Yep. It really does. Less, uh, taxing. Yeah. It, it kind of simplifies your life, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and plus we get to see how many uh, websites and passwords that we actually have because they're all listed. It's <laughs> right. remarkable how much we have to have maintained right. in right. this day and age too. So. Right. So, so you think about things around that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of trying to make security a production or a pro- productivity item, right? So that password manager, everyone can kind of understand, okay, well, it protects me if someone gets hacked and it makes it a little bit easier or whatever. A lot of things for any small business owners thinking, listening in, if you think about having your team of 10, 20, 30 people and everyone's using a password manager and I'm your receptionist and I move on from jobs, well, if you have Mm -hmm. your IT team change that password for the password manager, suddenly I'm locked out of every single system because I was using it because that's our policy. So you've locked me out of everything all at once. And if Nick comes in and is my replacement, we can then reset the password to that password manager so that Nick can log into each account slowly but surely and update it with a new random password. So it makes it so that I get locked out quickly and Nick can take over my job duties easily. Right. Just like right. that. We can update the email from mine to Nick's, and we can update the password to a new random password. So it really, really can make HR transition easy. And it might not be a termination, right? Maybe I get sick. Maybe I get hit by a bus, right? Knock on wood. But uh, any number of things can happen and does happen in business. Password managers are a key HR tool to make it much easier for turnover and transition. On the household side, I, w- I would think too, um, you know, couples, if something happens to one of them, yes. you know, that's probably yes. a huge issue yes. of trying to get yes. into stuff, especially, you know, Murphy's Law, right? What happens, the first person to go is the one with all the yeah. financial information well, that set up all the accounts, right? And how many times have we had one spouse change it? Like we get, because we, we're the ones who get the calls when people get locked out of, mm-hmm. out of their... Uh, TD Ameritrade or SEI logins, you know, uh, my, you know, a spouse will change a password. The new, the other doesn't necessarily get the message, you know, and then they're locked out because they kept trying the old one. It happens all the time. There's a lot of, there's a lot of password managers that can be set up so that if you don't log in in a certain amount of time, 
it'll automatically contact a designated mm. person um, mm. to give them access into it, right? So if you, if I'm using a password manager and Carrie's using a password manager and we both have all our passwords set up in there, <laughs> and I don't log into my password manager for 14 days or an arbitrary amount of time, it can automatically contact Carrie in a secure method and give her access to my passwords. Wow. That's called That's a dead man switch. It's an old, uh-huh. uh, old spy technique there. Yeah. <laughs> so almost like a, like a, like an estate plan for your, uh, for your passwords, for your cybersecurity. I love it. Yeah. yeah very interesting. Cool. Very I had cool. not heard that before. Oh, I was just going to say along with uh, two factor authentication and, uh, mm-hmm. and password managers, any other, uh, little hints and tricks for the folks at home? Yeah, so a common question that I always have is what should someone do if they think they've been hacked or if they think they've Mm -hmm. made a mistake, right? So depending on the severity of what's going on, that'll dictate your response. So we'll we'll talk about a a couple common ones. So the most common way for an attack to happen is through email. And when someone sends you one of those fake emails trying to get you to do something, they're using an old technique called social engineering. So I'm trying to trick you through human nature into doing an action. Mm-hmm. So we'll walk through it top to bottom. In general, and I'm going to use in general with a big asterisk. This is a, you know, your mileage may vary statement. In general, opening an email usually doesn't cause harm. Usually. It's got to be pretty malicious and pretty well and sneaky for just reading an email to like blow your world Mm -hmm. up. Okay? Mm -hmm. If someone's sending you an email with a password of yours in it and saying, hey, I got your password and I'm in all of your stuff and I'm going to cause damage to you unless you pay me something... Or, hey, I took a video of you doing something naughty, and I'm going to do something unless you pay me. Or, hey, I found your Amazon purchases, and I'm going to tell your wife or your spouse (laughs) unless you pay me. 99.5% of the time, they haven't done any of that. So let's unpack the situation. I'm in all your accounts. I was in all your accounts. I would steal your money and never tell you. That's what I would do. Right. Right. (laughs) Chances are I'm not in all your accounts. What's happened is you've used the same password on a lot of websites. One of those websites got hacked. And what it is, is it's a big spreadsheet of email, password, email, password, email, password, email, password. And they're sending an email to everyone, a bulk email to everyone's email. And automatically, Mm -hmm. a little piece of software that says, here's the email, and the password was password123. Well, I'm sending my email to Nick. Hey, Nick, password123, I got it. I'm in all your stuff. You better pay me or else I'm going to cause you some damage. And then, hey, Dave, ABC password, you better Mm -hmm. let me know because I'm in all your stuff and I'm going to cause damage. It's the exact same email going to every single one that they got out of that website. So it's a big scam. And what they're betting on is that by emailing 10,000 people, one or two or three of them is going to give them some money. So it's a bulk play. It's a Walmart strategy. Delete it. Mm -hmm. 
move on. But if you recognize that password and you know websites that it's in use at, log into them and change it that day. That's the way you respond to that one. The next thing that can happen with a fake email is you clicked on something. This is where it starts to get sticky. So you got an email and it says, hey, you got to log in and change your password or hey, you got to open this thing or whatever. And you clicked on something. You clicked on a link, you opened an attachment. That's a problem. So depending on what you did is where we're going to go next. You open an attachment, you probably installed something on your computer. You ever open an attachment and it pops up and says, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> are you sure you want to, like, this is trying to install something. This is trying to run something, okay? A Word document or a true PDF is never going to say it's trying to install something or run something. So you should stop. That's your computer trying to say, hey, hey, Ian, are you sure? So stop and think about what's going on. My favorite piece of advice to people is if you've got a, uh, if you suddenly get a, uh, an attachment, so if Nick suddenly sends me an attachment, a document saying, hey, Ian, here's this thing, pretty important to look at it, and I wasn't expecting it from Nick, I'm going to pick up my <laughs> phone and send Nick an email or give him a right. phone call and say, hey, Nick, I just got this attachment. Was that you? No, that wasn't me, and I didn't send you anything. We're not, we've got an appointment two months from now. We've already got a calendar. Uh, we're going to review it face-to-face -face or over, over Zoom then. So right. pause, because rarely is there ever something in any of our lives that is so crisis critical, unless we're in a fire department or police or something like that, that it, we can't wait and take five minutes to verify. So... Right. That right. urgent invoice, that urgent attachment, that urgent whatever, the urgency is the key. Never is it so urgent that we couldn't call someone and, and wait, right? Your account's past due. We're going to shut it off today. Well, like I, I've yet to meet a company that won't take a phone call and say, all right, well, let's, let's when are you going to render payment, et cetera? Okay, we'll mark the account, right? Especially if it's the first notice of something. So pause. If you've happened to open an attachment, at that point, you're going to want to look at your security software. You're going to want to think about maybe calling. If you're, if you're pretty tech scared and you've got a tech friend, a tech kid, a tech spouse, <laughs> a tech sibling, I would call that resource that you have that knows technology and say, hey, I, I think I made an oops. Right. If you've opened something, if you said yes, if you installed something, you should call for help. Or you should, if you're comfortable, go into your security software and run whatever scanning tools, look at what's going on. But if you've said yes or ran something, stop and look at stop and look at what you did. Third piece is if you went in, if it says, hey, you know, like your account's going to be disabled if you unless you log in and update your password or whatever. And you click on it, it takes you to a website, you enter your email, you enter your password, and nothing happens or it just reloads or something like that, or it mm -hmm. takes you back to the website to log in again, that's someone who just grabbed your password, okay? So in general, you get an email saying you need to update your password or click here to, to update your password or whatever, never click on a link out of an email. 
So Bank of America just emailed me and says, Ian, like you're, there's been a security incident. You have to update your password right now, right? Right. Like log in immediately and change your password. Click here to log in and change your password. Don't do that. If you believe the email, it's Bank of America. Open up a web browser and go to Bank of America's website and do it there. No legitimate company will send you an email trying to prompt you to click on a link and do that. They'll say, hey, go to our website and click login and update your password. They're not going to send you the link because that's the common technique that a hacker will use to trick you. And what I could do is I could make a fake website and make it look like Bank of America's website. I could just take a picture and post it there. But when you entered your username and password, it came to me instead of going to the bank. So if you happen to do that, take a note of like, okay, this was, my, this was a fake Amazon thing. I accidentally just gave him my Amazon username and password. Go to the real website, change the password. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, kind of take those remediation actions. How can you respond? And like, maybe call your credit card company. Right. So, if it's Amazon, and I've got my American Express on file, well, you could call American Express and say, "Hey, I think I accidentally did a thing. Can you freeze my card for Amazon.com, please?" And uh, any sort of new transaction that's outside of my normal, can you can you pause it and call me to make sure for the or just freeze my card for the next twenty four hours, right? Freeze it for the next week. I'll I'll use a different card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can always take some intentional steps depending on where your risk is at. And the credit card companies will generally want to work with you on that because yep. they have some liability there too. So will banks, right? Yeah. So if it yeah. was a bank, call the bank and say, "Hey, you know what?" I think I screwed up. Disable my online account, please, for for a day, right? Um, Like freeze all all transfers. Don't allow any sort of bill payments or new payments or whatever, right? Without calling me. Your bank, your credit card partners, your financial partners want to protect you. It's in their best interest that you succeed. They want you to succeed. They want you to be a partner for a long time. So call them, take those intentional steps. And then again, get into the systems when it's safe and, uh, and update your password. So, and I, th- and I think a good point about all this as well is better safe than sorry, right? So correct. You know, yeah. I've gotten yeah. those calls where people said, you know, I think I made an oops, right? right. Um, and, you know, it's one of those, it happens, you know, probably more often than anybody wants to believe. And so don't feel silly about it. It's the sooner you can take that action, the better off you're going to be. Um, but also, you know, there's hackers are so good at playing on your emotions and getting you all yeah. stirred up. That, you know, don't feel silly because it happens to everybody. Yeah, I, I, I had a, I had a, well, we won't, we won't go into specifics in, in case uh, <laughs> she is listening. But uh, I had a woman that I work with who um, would get the uh, the messages from the, you know, they would claim they were from the Social Security Administration saying you need to change, you know, uh-huh. you've been hacked, you need to text us with your Social Security number and what your payment should be or we'll stop your Social Security payment, something along those lines. And she'd gotten them before and ignored them. And then one night she was getting home around midnight from a trip and she was exhausted and she got one of those and she freaked out and responded. And it was totally just that her defense mechanisms were low because she was so tired and yep. out of her element that something she would normally have been able to avoid and ignore 
you know, and then, and it, it didn't end up being too big a deal, but you know, it was a, it was a moment of weakness and they just yeah. caught her, you know, they just randomly caught her at the right time or wrong time. Yep. Whenever you think about something happening, think about what was the impact, right? So identify mm-hmm. what that impact is and then kind of respond to what you, what you're thinking of. Another thing that a lot of people forget about, if you think your social security number has been compromised, especially there's three credit, there's three credit agencies, right? Um, Trans, TransUnion, uh, Experian, and then what's the other one? Equifax or no? Yeah, Equifax. So you can call all three of those and place your credit on a freeze, which means no new account can be opened without a specific validation and verification procedure. You can call all of them and say, hey, freeze this. And that can prevent John Q. Hacker from opening credit cards or taking out loans or doing some sort of damage, right? Right. right. Um, doing some active credit monitoring, another thing. Everyone gets a free credit report, I think, once a year or once every, uh, once every six months or whatever through them. And a lot of banks and financial institutions are giving active free credit monitoring through those agencies as well. Yes. So just being intentional looking at it, understanding, hey, I've got four credit cards and two loans on my file. Well, I should see those four credit cards and two loans on my credit report. There shouldn't be anything else there or else something's going on. So just get a little bit more intentional um, about thinking about what impacts could be. Where's our our money going? What are we doing, et cetera? Slow down. There's never that big of a technology emergency coming through your email, <laughs> right? Like they just mm-hmm. slow down and then look at the emails. So that last little piece is just look at what something's happening. What are they trying to get you to do? Read the, read the header up at the top, the from, really look at it. So it might say Amazon customer support, but then when you look at the email, it'll say it's... IT support at Amazon your it.jp, right? Well, that's something coming right. from Japan, not Amazon support and in, in uh, Seattle, right? So just be intentional about taking a little bit of time and read really where it's from, look for spelling mistakes, and think about the intention of the email. What are they trying to get me to do, right? And if they're trying to get you to give them information, Give them a password, follow a link. 99% of the time, it's not going to be legitimate. 99% of the time, it's it's someone trying to trick you. Yeah. Great advice. Great, great advice. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. I learned a ton. Um, so right. hopefully our listeners out there did as well. And uh, like we said earlier, if you're interested in getting some more information or into some more of the details, please join us. Uh, for the webinar on January 26th. <laughs> sounded like, sounded <laughs> like oh, a question. My calendar there. first. Yeah. Nailed it. We January will. 26th at four o'clock. Reach out, check the show notes <laughs> out. We'll put it in there. We'll put a link to Ian's contact information, his business, because um, definitely a lot of good stuff out yeah. there. You know, we are. Um, a five-star review of Ian's company. We love working yep. with them. They've been fantastic yep. for us. Yeah. Um, so we're really glad you could join us today, Ian. Um, like I said, I learned a ton. This has been fantastic. Yep. Oh. And uh, yeah, greatly appreciated. 
Oh yeah. Hey, thanks for the invite. It's, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. And it's kind of rising tide raises all boats. So if there's any, if there's any questions or anything like that, reach out to any three of us and, um, you just, just stay safe out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. All right. Take care. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.